If you would take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke uh, chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We're going to continue our study through Luke's uh, Gospel. Uh, I'm going to read the text this morning, and then I will pray, and then we will dig into God's Word after I turn on my microphone. Uh, Chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 10 uh, through 22, and then we will pray and dig into the word of the Lord. Uh, Hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 9, verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew withdrew apart to a town called Bethesda. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and the countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so. They made them all sit down, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And the third day be raised. Let's pray. Holy God, you are so good to us, Father. You are so good to your people. Father, your holiness is so strong. We are so unholy, Father. We are so sinful. So God, we come to you now, not in our righteousness, but through the righteous robes of Christ in his shed blood, Father. We hold the promises that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you for the cross. God, we thank you for the glory in the cross that all our sins are forgiven. So God, we do not bow before you as holy men. We bow before you as people who've been purchased through the blood of Christ. So God, we pray that you would Enrich us with that hope uh, as we hear and study your word. Father, we pray for, for those in our, in our midst who are hurting. Father, we pray for our dear brother Jonathan McGirt. God, we pray that you would heal him, God. God, it's been such a long battle. We pray that you would heal him. God, we pray for strength and for faith for both him and Barbara and for Miss Pat. That they would continue to believe, that they would not waver in disbelief, but they, are fully, that they, but they would trust you, that you are fully able to do what you promised in your word. God, we pray for our brother Dave Thomas as he has the procedure this week. We pray that you would have um, wisdom and grace to the doctors, Father. Steady their hands. Let the surgery be a success. 
Uh, we thank you for the, the, the gift of Ted Carroll, God, and, and, the, and the successful surgery. Uh, we pray that you continue to uh, heal our dear brother. Uh, God, we also just pray that you heal our, our city, God. God, we, we want people in our city to hear the gospel and to believe, Father, to believe in the name of Christ. For, Father, we know that there is no other name under heaven which man can be saved than other than Christ Jesus. So, God, we pray for our mission outreach. God, these churches who are coming together to hand out these small supplies to these teachers, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just anoint those who pass them out, that they would be bold in sharing the gospel, that people there would hear and believe the good news. God, we pray for a gospel advance uh, for your namesake in this city. God, we also pray that in our own hearts. Father, we need you, Lord. Father, you don't need, we don't need another word, Father, from a man. God, we need a word from you. You are the bread of life. You are the Christ of God. You are the Son of man. So God, I pray that you would just send your spirit to your people now, God. Bless us with your presence. Enrich our hearts to believe and to hope in the promise we have in Christ. God, I pray now for the preaching of your word. We pray you bless it for the glory of your name and for our good. We ask this in the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, when I was a young man, uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> surprise, surprise, right? Young men not knowing what to do with their life. Uh, I played football, and that's pretty much all I knew. I loved sports, and uh, I got called to, to play football in college. And when you, when you start playing football, they kind of lure you with a lot of different ways to try to get you to their school. They tell you things that aren't really true about yourself to make you think that you're a lot better than you are. Uh, well, one of the things that was dangled in front of me was the, the school of business. You could go to the school of business and one of the best in the country say, you could come and play football for us and get a great education. Cool. I didn't want to do business. <laughs> I never wanted to do business. And after I uh, woke up from that daze, after about uh, two years, I, I, I pursued a degree in history. And my major became intellectual history. I thought it sounded smart, so I, I decided to have it as a major. And one of my first classes was called the History of Identity. And I'll never forget sitting around that table, and everyone has to go around and introduce themselves. They had to say, who are you? Uh, so everyone would say, I'm so-and-so, I'm, I'm a junior, I'm, so, I'm from this place, and I'm, I'm studying. Uh, this is what I want to be when I graduate. Very, very simple. Uh, and at the end, I was, I, I was sitting there, and even in my, in my young spirit, I was a young Christian, and I wanted just to say, I'm a Christian. <laughs> I love Jesus. Uh, but in, in that context, I wanted to identify like everybody else. This is who I am. I'll fit my identity. Uh, isn't it interesting how when we're in different contexts, we define ourselves differently? You know, I, I was just thinking back, and, you know, one of the things I talk about in the class is how women define themselves in the 1950s versus the 19. 60s. You know, the, the 1950s, there was a show called Leave it to Beaver. You guys ever hear of this show? Say yes, pastor. Good, right? Well, it's the, it's the, it's the Cleaver family, the, the nice traditional family, the husband and father and the kids, and you almost compared yourself and how much you resembled the Cleavers. Uh, well, then you had the, the 1960s happen, and there was something called um, there was some sort of revolution that happened, uh, and there, the hippies kind of came in there, and you almost were defined at being rebellious. 
right? So you were defined in how rebellious or ill-rebellious you were. I think back to my own life and how I've defined myself over the years. I remember as, as a young man, I thought it was cool to wear something called Z Cavaricis. Uh, they are probably one of the worst pair of pants you could ever own. Uh, one of the things you had to do was you had to uh, roll the bottom of the pants, and I would go to school, and I thought I was cool. And then I de- identified myself as a sports fan. Uh, so what I used to do, I used to dress like this in public. I used to wear sweatpants with, uh, that were Chicago Bear sweatpants that had stripes on them. White, blue, and orange. I wore them until I met my wife. <laughs> so it was a long phase. Uh, but isn't it interesting when you look back in your life, uh, how you identified yourself, how you presented yourself to the world? Uh, you have old wedding pictures that maybe you have that big uh, afro or, or, or that beard that, um, not, not ladies, I'm just referring to men here, um, but we always identify ourselves, right? We look back and we get to see how we identify ourselves. Well, this morning, we want to look at the identity of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Because the beauty thing, the beautiful thing about our Lord is that he never changed his identity. He is always the same. He will never change. And we want to study God's word this morning of how Jesus Christ identifies himself. Uh, so if you want to follow along on the bulletin provided for you, flip to the back. And we're going to look at three ways Jesus defines himself. And this is not something new. We, read it, we ended at the end of last week with the question of King Herod uh, in verse 9 through 9.9. 9. He said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? That is a refrain you hear continue throughout Luke's gospel. Who is this? Well, Luke shows us in these three uh, paragraphs... Who Jesus is. The first thing we see is that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Read with me again at verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. Now remember last week we talked about how the the apostles were sent out in the power of God to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now Luke connects the sending out to the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So they returned, and they told Jesus all that they had done. Now, we don't get a, a full picture of it from, in, from Luke's gospel. We know that they cured the sick, they exercised demon, they even raised the dead. The power of God was unleashed in this region. And it goes on in verse 10, second half. It says, And he took them and withdrew them apart to a town called Bethsaida. Well, one of the things that you see here is Jesus is pulling them aside, just like he did when he sent them out, right? He he pulled them to himself, he called them, and then he sent them. But the disciples, God bless them, did not fully understand what they, they just did. So Jesus wants to teach them even more about himself, about his identity. So he took them with himself. And then you see in verse 11, when the crowds learned it, they followed him. You know, if you read throughout the gospel, wherever Jesus goes, a crowd follows. Now, we may not see that in our day, but beloved, everywhere Jesus goes, a crowd follows. That crowd may be shouting praises, or that crowd may be shouting crucify him. Everyone has a response to the Lord Jesus. You cannot avoid it. 
They followed him and he welcomed them. Uh, we see in, in Luke's gospel, or in uh, one of the other gospels, that Jesus always welcomes people. He has compassion on them like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. And that Jesus does what he always does. He speaks to them about the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. Right, so you can imagine this big scene. A huge crowd of people come to Jesus who are sick in need of healing. They're healed. They're hearing about the kingdom of God. And the disciples start to check the sun and realize, man, the day is wearing on. These people have got to be hungry. I know that many of you start checking your watches at 11.57, saying, he better wrap up because I got some rumbles going on in my tummy, okay? Well, this is probably late afternoon. The day's wearing on. And what happens? Uh, the 12 came to Jesus and said, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we're here in a desolate place. It seems like a very logical explanation from the disciples. Hey, Jesus, we are in the middle of nowhere, right? There is no 7-Elevens around. We, we can't get them food. Send them back to the towns and countryside to find lodging. We cannot feed them. And this is what Jesus said, verse 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. I can only imagine at a time like this, this is one of those say what <laughs> moments of the disciples. Jesus said something and they looked at each other going, he said what? I mean, there was just an instant shock. You feed them. That was not what they were expecting to hear. What they were expecting to hear is, yes, disciples, you are probably right. Let's send them away so they can get food. That's a very logical or, you know, planned way of thinking. And look, 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 look at their response in verse um, 13. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Jesus, how do you expect us to feed these 5,000 men, their wives and their children, with five loaves and two fish? I'd love to hear that one, is what they're thinking in their head. Then they go on. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. Now, we learned from John's gospel and from Mark's gospel that the, the, the cost of food was about 200 denarii. So a denarii is a day's wage, so 200 days of work. Now, wives, can you imagine your husband's coming home and saying, hey, we are going to throw a party, and it's going to cost about two-thirds of my yearly salary? What do you think she's going to do? Um, no. <laughs> uh, there, there is this, 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 this tension going on here. Now, the reason why I want to get back to verse 10 is remember, where did the apostles just come from? They just came from unleashing the power of God, healing diseases, raising the dead. And they see these 5,000 people who are hungry in a desolate place, and they look at everything they don't have, rather than what they do have. Beloved, what do they have? They have the Lord Christ. And I think Jesus is pulling them to this desolate place to show them something very specific about his identity. He is the bread of life. And I think I just want to point out that there's the word desolate place is very particular. Now, my brother Dwayne just read the story of the Exodus chapter 16. The people are in the wilderness and they are hungry. And what happened? 
God sent bread from heaven to feed them. Now, in, in, that, in the end of verse 9, I believe, it said, I'm going to send bread from heaven so you may know that I am the Lord. Bread fell down from heaven so that, the, so that the people of Israel would know that God is the one and true Lord. Now, think about that when we get back to this scene here. Verse 14, there were 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, make them sit in groups of about 50 each, and they did so. He made them all sit down, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And then in verse 17, and they all ate and were satisfied. There was 12, it was left over, picked up 12 baskets of, of broken uh, pieces. This is the picture of what all believers are called to do. We are called to feed on the blessings of the Lord. It's what we're going to be celebrating even here momentarily, the breaking of the bread and the Lord's Supper. But just do this with me. Hold your place in the Scriptures in Luke and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. So John chapter 6 already recounts the feeding of the 5,000. And then we're going to pick it up on verse 25. And I just want you to read how Jesus explains the feeding of the 5,000 here in John's gospel. John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. They said to him, What must we do to do, be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then? Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is this, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Beloved, we need to go to Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, and we will never go hungry, and we will never thirst, because he gives us a food and a drink that never perishes. In the best-selling book, uh, Into Thin Air, uh, the author relates the, the hazards that plagued some of the climbers as they attempted to reach the summit of Mount Everest. Uh, Andy Harris, one of the expedition leaders, uh, stayed at the peak too long. And on his descent, he came in dire need of oxygen. Harris radioed the base camp and told them of his, his predicament. Uh, he mentioned that he came across these oxygen canisters, uh, but there was no oxygen in them. Well, some climbers just came down, and they knew that there was oxygen in these canisters. They pleaded with him on the radio to make use of these canisters, but to no avail. 
Harris was starved of oxygen, but he continued to argue that the canisters were empty. The problem was that the lack that he, of what he needed had so disoriented his mind that though he was surrounded by something that gave him life, he continued to live in its absence. The lack of oxygen had ravaged his capacity to recognize what was right in front of him. Beloved, may I say this? What oxygen is to the body, the bread of life is to the soul. Some of us here today are suffocating and are starving, and we don't even know it. Jesus is offering us life to us while we run around trying to appease our appetites. Beloved, we will never be filled unless we feed on the bread of life. We have that opportunity to do that this morning. Well, the second thing we see in in this morning's text is that Jesus is not only the bread of life, he is the Christ of God. Verses 18 through 20. And now it happened as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? It's the very same thing that we found in 9 uh, verse 7 about people, the crowds were talking. And it's the same list in verse 7 as we see in verses 18 through 20. Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others the one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, and I think we can just stop here, and can we all just get an amen that we all have to make a decision of what we're going to do with the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, uh, we, we are Baptist. One of the reasons why I'm a Baptist is because I believe that people have to make their own decision to follow Christ. Now, I was raised in a Lutheran church, and there was that, that was the confirmation in Lutheran and the Presbyterian church. Amen. Okay, we can say amen to that. But everybody has to make their own decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. Crowds can say whatever. Uh, children who are here, your parents love the Lord. Lord willing, who are here. But that doesn't make it enough for you. You have to ask for yourself, who do you say Jesus Christ is? Well, Peter answered, you are the Christ of God. The promised one that would restore the nation of Israel. The Davidic king who would forever sit on the throne. But can I just tell you this? They did not fully understand what he actually said. In his mind, he was thinking about a literal, physical ruler who was going to usher in the literal, physical nation of Israel. Now, that would have eventually happened. And Jesus is the Christ of God who will eventually usher in the reign, his reign for his people. That's just the way they thought. Even in Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 6, after the ascension, or after the, the resurrection, the disciples looked at Jesus and said, is it now? Are you going to restore the, the nation of Israel now? Are you going to do it? That's what they were thinking. You are the Christ of God. Now, Jesus doesn't correct them because that's who he was. But they didn't fully understand how he was going to get there. Because before ultimate deliverance happens, Jesus Christ, the Christ of God, must suffer. We even see this, 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 this mocking of the Lord Jesus towards his, the end of his life at, when he was being crucified. They went back 
to this, this, this title, the Christ of God, the King of the Jews. So they kept on saying, if you are the Messiah, if you are the Christ of God, save yourself. Take yourself off that cross. But the real Jesus must suffer first. And beloved, can I just say this to you? Can we please make sure that we ground the identity of God in the Bible? Do you know I hear this saying a lot? Uh, And I I don't mean anything by it, but I just want want us to correct our language. Sometimes I hear, I believe that my God would never. Or I I think that my God would not dot, dot, dot. I just hear this, I believe or I think. Can we just, that's fine to say sometimes, but can we just say the Bible says. God says in his word, this is who Jesus is. Let's not base our identity of God on our past history, on our conversations with friends. Let's base it on the word of God. The world will tell you all that they think who Jesus is. We don't care what the world thinks. We care what God says about himself in his word. Amen. That's what I wanted. Amen. Thank you, Bobby Schoenberger. It's not awful, but we want to to lead uh, with God says in his word. Well, we close with this. Not only is Jesus the bread of life and the Christ of God, he's also the son of man. He is the son of man. Notice in verse 21, he strictly charged them and commanded them not to tell this to anyone. Now, he told them not to tell anyone because if if people realized that he was the Messiah, the king, that they would have ushered him in to to take over now. But Jesus was going to have none of it because he says in verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priest and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That would have blown people's mind. That the Christ of God was also the one who was going to suffer and die. But we know that Jesus came to die. He came to die in our place. We are sinners and our sin needed to be paid for. So God sent Christ to take our punishment on the cross. His death was our death. And in his his death and his resurrection, he gave us access to the Father, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. So when we we, we bow now and we, and we, we think about taking the elements of the Lord's Supper, can we just think about what that means? His death is our death. This is why I have no problem telling any single one of you that you are called to suffer. Because our Lord was called to suffer. A few years ago, a friend called me and said, I'm having a real tough time with my boss. He's just angry and he's being difficult and, you know, I just, I, I got I to get out of there. And he, he, he got words from me. He probably didn't want to hear from me. <laughs> he wanted me to give him a pat on the back and say, you know, uh, you're right to have all this anger and all this animosity. I said, here's what I'm calling you to do. You need to suffer well. Because how you suffer well when you are treated unjustly is a testimony of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Listen to what First Peter says. He says, servants should be subject to their master with respect, not only, with, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Because he says this, if you do a good and suffer and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Beloved, you have been called to live and reflect the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we come to the table, it is our declaration that I do not deserve a happy life. I do not deserve peace and tranquility. I deserve death. And I'm going to feed on the death of Christ on my behalf. Because right after the Apostle Peter looked to or said to the crowd, this is to what you were called. You were called to suffer. This is what he said. For this is you've been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued trusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, beloved Heva, hear this. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. When we come to the Lord's table now, when we feed on um, Christ by faith, what we are saying is that I am dead to sin. Christ's body was broken for me. He paid for my sin. But it's also a, a declaration, a proclamation that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We live in righteousness because we live, because we know, dear brother Wade, that God has uh, secured a place for us in eternity with himself. So as we prepare for the elements, can I ask you just to take a moment and just reflect on your own sinfulness? Reflect on your sin of this past week and then feed, feed on Christ by faith that in Christ all, all your sin is paid for and that you are forgiven by the blood of the Lamb.